Hey guys, this is Kyle Klammer. This is Zach Welch. And this is? The Good Life Bowhunter, the official podcast of the NBA. We're back again. We've got a special guest on. We'll get to him in just a second here. But uh, first I wanted to just have Zach run through any NBA announcements we needed to go through real quick. Yep. So uh, at the time we're recording this, the banquet's less than three weeks away. So by the time you're hearing this, it'll be a lot shorter than that. So make sure you're getting your tickets in so you don't miss out and uh, get in any, I guess, big game records. You can send those to Steve Wadicheski or first big game awards, anything, I guess, that you want sent in, photos and all that. Check out the website. All the info you need is right there. So either there or check in your newsletter. Everything you need to know is right there. But other than that, I don't think any other major announcements. Yeah. Don't forget to bring your uh, your uh, mounts. Yeah. They're, they're going to Target again, right, I think? I, I think so. I believe it's a Target. Uh, if not, it's some kind of prize, and it doesn't cost anything to enter. So just bring your mounts. It's always nice to see everybody's trophies down there. Always, for sure. So Awesome. Well, Zach, I'm going to let you kind of take it away here, man. So. All right. Well, we got a special guest on today, as Kyle said. Uh, actually, his name's Kyle, too. So to avoid confusion, we'll just refer to him as Mud. So uh, Kyle Metzger is our guest on today. Kyle, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of talk about yourself a little bit, where you grew up, where you're from, and kind of what you do, and just run with any of those things, I guess. So I guess about the only answer I have for that as far as introducing myself is Kyle Metzger. Everybody calls me Mud. There's really not a real good story. That's everybody always asks about where the name came from, but just nickname I got when I was little kind of stuck with me. But uh, as far as what I do and where I live, I'm kind of have to ask myself that all the time. I kind of bounce around and live kind of a gypsy lifestyle, help a lot of different farmers. I like, I plant in the spring, hay in the summer, help some in the fall harvest. And then I guide pheasant hunters and deer hunters in South Dakota. Um, spend most of my time in central South Dakota now. Grew up in Northeast Nebraska and then met a guy, buddy of mine, Clayton Miller, runs Dakota Hunting Company when he was going to college in Vermilion and made it out to central South Dakota, kind of fell in love with it out there and have been out there guiding with him for 10 years now. Every fall I go out there and do that and uh, keeps me busy and gets to do a lot of hunting and meet a lot of good guys. And, um, been a part of the Boners Association for quite a while, met uh, old Nebraska Outdoors Forum, a bunch of guys on there. So I first started going to the banquet and heard about it. And then, uh, Let's see. Grew up in Northeast Nebraska, moved to Valentine, Nebraska, and ended up moving to South Dakota about seven, eight years ago. Been out there ever since. My parents own a farm in Northeast Nebraska. End up there quite often. Um, like last fall, I was there. Was able to, first year I ever shot two bucks in Nebraska. Um, we got a pretty nice farm right across from Vermilion. Zach went to college there and was hunting some similar properties next to us there. Um, I could ramble on and on, I guess, all the time, but ended up out of high school, um, didn't go to college or anything, went right into filming. Um, Dustin Lutt, another member, he uh, got me hooked up with Heartland Bowhunter, went and filmed a TV show with those guys. I think I was like a sophomore or junior in high school and met Sean Luckdoll and just kind of the hunting community and industry just so small um next thing you know is filming with bone collector and 
ended up in Africa for a month filming over there for a TV show. And the filming deal I did for probably five years in the fall. And it kind of took me all over the place and got to experience some pretty cool hunts that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Made some good friendships, met some guys from all over the U.S. and a couple of different countries. So hunting's been a big part of my life ever since I've little. It's pretty much a fanatic, I guess, is probably the best way to describe it. My parents probably think I'm a little crazy ever since I was, you know, five, six years old. I was had it on the brain, I guess. Very nice. <clears throat> I think uh, a lot of us can probably say the same thing. It started at a young age, and it's pretty evident in you growing up in that part of the state. There's a lot of stuff to chase around, especially living on a farm and all that. That sure makes it a lot easier to get into the outdoors. I'm going to back you up just a little bit on the filming. That's actually one of the first things we wanted to start in on. Um, was that something you'd always wanted to do? or, or Ever was- since I was little, um, watching the old Realtree videos and everything, I always told my mom and dad that I wanted to have a hunting TV show and have my Uncle Don on and do all this, you know, when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And parents ended up getting divorced, and my stepbrother, um, he's three months older than me, and he was really into it too. So when we go out in the summertime, we'd grab our bows and BB guns, and we were filming each other shoot blackbirds and everything else you know all summer running around barefoot and chasing stuff trying to come up with our own i mean that was before everybody had a youtube channel we probably would have had a crazy little youtube channel at the same time when we were growing up but uh i guess yeah so it's always been something i wanted to do and then god just kind of laid the foundation between the super long story and honestly i forget some of the steps sometimes but a big part of that was dustin going to school for media, meeting the Harlem Bowhunter guys. And just, I always say it's opening the right doors at the right time, shaking the right hands. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And like I said, the community is so small that you make a good impression. They tell somebody else and they tell somebody else. Next thing you know, I was filming for Bone Collector, which at the time when I was in high school, you know, that's, everybody asked, what do you do when you grow up? I wanted to film hunting television shows. And then it was... I graduated in May. I think it was like June of that same year. I get a call from Michael Waddell wanting a full-time position with him. And I was like, yeah, this is really what I've been dreaming of forever, you know, and ended up passing on it. And to this day, I don't really know why, but it's just one of those gut things where you're like, it didn't feel right. And kind of all through my life, there's been doors open and doors closed. And you just had that gut feeling. I think everybody out there knows about it and whether things are right or wrong. And uh, looking back, I don't regret anything that way, but I've been on some pretty cool adventures with the whole camera in my hand and seen a lot of cool things that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. So, I agree. I can't even imagine some of the places you've seen. I've seen a lot of your pictures and stuff. I know, I think you did some filming for Mike. I think it was it his mountain yep. goat hunt. Yeah, yep. I remember seeing some of those pictures. I was like, man, that that'd be a dream getting to film some of those guys and stuff. But I know I, when I had talked to you about it in the past a little bit, it was kind of like, yeah, filming's great. And you get to do, you get to go on a lot of these hunts and stuff, but the amount of time that you get to hunt yourself, you know, is pretty limited when you get to do stuff like that. And so that's when I started, I kind of started off pretty slow. Cause I was like, I filmed my first television show when I was still in high school and every year I started doing a little more, and a little more. And I got to the point where I would say I was doing it full time in the fall before I really got big into the guiding and they always say make you know work something you love you don't have to work a day in your life or whatever but it got to the point honestly to me where 
with it being work, I didn't like dislike it. Cause how can you dislike going hunting? But I found myself not maybe enjoying it as much as I was when I was filming less. And I mean, I still hunt, I probably hunt more today than I ever did then, but I'm guiding guys. Like, just like when you came to South Dakota this year, going out with you for a couple of days, like bouncing here and there and getting to be on different hunts, but it wasn't like I had to have something done nowadays, like guiding I do, but as far as the fun days off and everything else, it's a lot different than the last year I filmed a lot. It really turned into work. I still had a great time and was felt super blessed to be able to be doing it. But I just decided to take a step back and film a little less in that it's actually turned into more guiding and less filming now. But uh, like this year I got a trip actually coming up the end of April, I'm going to Alaska to film a guy kill a brown bear, hopefully. So that'd be a pretty fun one. Looking forward to that. And that's, I kind of, towards the end there, the most of my filming stuff, I got to the point where I didn't want to do what I would call regular hunts. You know, I didn't want to go to Kansas and film whitetails or go to Texas and film turkeys. I've tried to save, I'm going to, like you said, the time deal. If I'm going to take a week or 10 days and go do something. I tried to do, like, I went to Washington with Nick Munt on his Roosevelt elk hunt. Like, that was a really cool experience. Different part of the country, I'd never been into hunt, and was able to go there, work, get paid, and go on a fun hunt with a buddy. You know, Nick and I are pretty good buddies. He's banquet last year. Everybody liked him. He's he's a hoot. Just a great guy. Definitely seems like it. it would make filming a lot easier working for a guy like that, too. Just down to earth and, you know, don't don't have to worry about him being a different person off camera than on, you know, it seems like anyways, I'd say if there's one person you got to experience that with, he was, he was a good one to do it under anyways. I've hunted with a lot of different guys filming wise and uh, none of them are bad, but just like I'm sure you guys have buddies you hunt with that you hunt better with than others. Like you can have a good time hunting with anybody. Like it's what we all love to do. It's why the podcast is here. It's why the boner association is what it is. But there are certain people you just click with. Like I would say like Nick and I, it really just worked. I think we have a really similar mindset. Like I always tell people when we talk about it is like, if you put a mule deer bedded next to a rock face or out in the middle of a field somewhere and there's a draw and a water with a little pond and there's a hill here and the wind's this direction. And you ask 10 guys to draw up a game plan to how to kill the deer. There's probably a couple different game plans that might work. And there's a couple that aren't. But I think if you put Nick and I in separate rooms, our tracks would be all but the same the whole way to kill the deer, which made it really easy. And he was a cameraman for Real Tree before he became a personality on the shows. So he understands where I was at with the whole filming deal of what I had to get out of each hunt. So anytime I would ask him to do something, like, I think we should do it this way for footage, or I need you to stop here and do this quick, you know, to capture what we need for the show it wasn't, he knew what I was going through, what I needed. It was a lot easier, I think, to film somebody that had the filming background. Absolutely. Makes a huge difference. You know, someone who experiences it, and like you said, was in your footsteps at one point. So they understand everything you're going through. You yeah. know, it just makes a huge difference anyways. Yeah. No, that was all good. Uh, definitely got some good experience with filming and all that. And like you said, no regrets looking back. You, got to experience some fantastic things, meet some great people, I'm sure, and go to places that most of us will never get to see. But uh, let's hear about some of your hunts back in Nebraska. I know specifically 
I want uh, our listeners to hear about your double buck story in Nebraska this year because when you sent me the video, the first one, you sent me that kill and then like, I don't remember, you'll tell the story anyways, but like a couple days later, you send me a clip and I'm just like, did he like accidentally send me the same clip of the buck that he just killed two days ago? And it was like exact scenario, but I'm not going to give away the details. I'm going to let you run with that. But uh, you had a fantastic year this year and if you just want to start with that and tell the story behind that, that'd be good. Yeah, it was it was a year for the books for sure. I would say I've been saying it the last couple of years, but this one will be one I'm pretty sure it's tough to beat. Um, so I guess for the fall, I think I shot five whitetails, two mule deer, and a mountain lion is what I ended up taking this fall. A couple of those are rifle kills. but uh, So the week you're talking about, I actually had a South Dakota rifle antelope tag and went out for the opener on Saturday, and my buddy killed a rifle goat on Saturday. I killed my rifle goat Sunday evening. And then I went back to Nebraska. I had uh, my parents own some land there that I could, I said where I grew up and I was killing some cedar trees and clearing some pasture for our cows. And I had to go back and um, get some more acres done before I went out to South Dakota back home to guide pheasants for the fall. And imagine that some cedar trees in Nebraska. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, I will say they are kind of fun to get rid of though. I got the big grinder with the, get a little to get rid of them but uh so last year well the story kind of goes back to last year a little bit um actually four three four years ago we had a deer show up split g2s brandon kelly another member um actually he hunts my property with me he wounded this deer like 150 inch deer shot him high on the shoulder and uh he ended up going nocturnal we thought he didn't know if he died or not he showed back up on camera went nocturnal made it through the season next year comes around he's like high 50s pushing 60 buck and i think he was four years old at that time and i kind of stepped back and like oh you wounded him last year you get to hunt him we had some other good deer to hunt i ended up killing like a high 40s four by four and wasn't around very much to hunt and then he shot him and hit him low that year and so we ended up calling him iron man you know just couldn't get him killed and same thing went nocturnal again made it past our neighbors and made it through the season for us comes around the following year 2019 and turns into just a giant four by four big split g2s 176 inch buck is what he ended up being and uh i was out guiding a lot wasn't around nebraska much to hunt and uh hunted him a little bit early killed a big deer in colorado high country and I had just a random day in November that I'd never make it back to my parents' place in November just because I'm busy guiding and got stuff going on. But I had one day that I was going to get back in at noon and hunt that night, hunt the next morning. I had to get back out to guide rifle hunters. And I ended up killing that buck. Brandon and I rode out together in the ranger parked. He picked his stand. I picked another one and rattled him right in seven yards shot him. So I just shot the buck that he's wounded twice, you know? And so the next year rolls around this fall and we had kind of a slow year with choke cameras showing up early. We knew there was a bunch of good deer that needed to show up, but uh, at the time we only had, I think two deer I would call shooters and one of them was quite a bit better than the other one. And so I'm like, I'll just, I had last year, you know, you hunt the big deer, I'll hunt the deer over here, you know, and wasn't going to be around a whole lot and I was going to be working. And so we were watching, we had those Spartan trail cameras, the cell phone cameras, and we'd put in a water tank where we'd put water back. There's a big, like it's a 
our pastures, 300 acre pasture, timber pasture, no water in it. And we put this tank in and the cell phone camera and the deer just started demolishing it. Like we, it wouldn't last a week and we were dumping 75 gallons, hundred gallons of water in there and they just kept coming, coming, coming. And it was, I mean, it was, it was like drugs for them, I think, because there's no water out there. They just got addicted to it. They were hitting it morning and night. And we had this uh, old 10 pointer that I know we had him last year for sure. And turns out we've had him three years prior on trail camera, but he kind of made a weird jump and I didn't put it two and two together till later. But uh, so I killed the antelope Sunday night, drove home, worked Monday. And I'm like, he was there last night, similar conditions. I'm going to go sit that blind we have a clover plot that's with that water tank and sure enough, you know, seven o'clock, he comes walking out the South Valley, he shows up about 180 yards away, 200 yards, walks a beeline right to me, jumps the fence into the food plot, beelines right to that water tank and it's 18 yards. So I draw back, settle my pin, touch it off, arrow disappears, buck kicks, runs, and, uh, so I get out of there. You don't have service to the food plot, walk out, call Brandon, call another buddy of mine. And I'm like, I don't know. Like I was filming myself. So I got it all on footage, set the tripod up and I'm like, it looks decent. It felt good. But I just, I'm not sure, you know, I could rather just give him some time and Brandon had to put kids to bed and everything. So it worked out. We ended up going out about, I think about two hours later, we gave him two hours and we get on, find the arrow and arrow looks decent. Um, but we're not finding much blood. And I'm like, I know, like I said, I grew up here. So I know the farm really well. And there's kind of an open pasture and there's a big draw. And so there's kind of two main trails he could take when he left. And I watched him right at the Y. So he's going to take the top or bottom one. And I walked where I knew the blood trail was and I wasn't finding any blood. And I was kind of starting to get that pit in your stomach where you don't really know, you know, like, should I just back out, come back tomorrow or push in just a little bit further. And I just, had that gut feeling like the arrow felt good i know i'm not seeing blood but i've seen crazier things and in probably 70 yards i maybe found you know a pop bottle top full of blood is all like three or four little specks on some leaves and come around the corner hit the bottom trail and found one speck so i knew he went on the bottom trail walk up another five yards and shine my light up and i can see his white belly there and uh, what happened was he was down drinking when I shot so he's all tensed up so when the arrow went in it shifted the hole from where it was on the diaphragm to the skin and when I gutted him it was just full of blood but this was just a 130 inch tank five six year old buck one of the bigger body deer I've ever killed on that place and uh, we knew he was kind of a bully buck and we had a really good four-year-old I'm excited for for next year and so I was hoping to get him out of there to kind of keep the four-year-old over there and um, so I'm on cloud nine, you know, I just shot my antelope yesterday, shot this buck today, and now I can go to work. I don't have to worry about hunting. I got my tag filled. I'm good to go. You know, I got two weeks to get this stuff done before I got to go to real work again. And, uh, you know how that goes. So then I go out the next day, cut cedar trees all day, you know, daylight to dark, come back and eat supper that night. And I check my cameras and another five-year-old buck. I knew it was around, but I hadn't seen but three times on trail camera between June and now October. I think you just living on the neighbors. Shows up on that food plot, drinking water, same exact spot the following night. So Tuesday night, he's there drinking. And uh, so I'm hmm, just thinking about it, you know, like, that's pretty cool. You know, he shows up out of the blue, you know. So then the next day, Wednesday, 
go start cutting cedar trees. It gets about four o'clock and I'm like, what are the chances I'll do it two times in a row? <laughs> you know? So I, I would go in, hop online, buy another license, print it off, get everything ready, quit work early, take a shower, go out there. And I'm sitting there like, this, this is never going to work. You know, like I've never killed two bucks in Nebraska. Um, we've never killed more than one buck off of our property a year. And Brandon's kid had already shot one. Carter shot his first buck with a bow this year out of the same blind, probably three weeks earlier. And then I shot that buck. So now there's two bucks. First time we've ever done that. And now I'm hunting the next night, two nights after I shot that buck and a couple deer come in and a couple does. It's real still that night. and It's kind of right in the bottom and the wind's not always the greatest when there's no wind. If I get an okay wind, it'll push it out the bottom, but you need about an eight mile an hour wind. And it was right at that. And they were circling around and they kind of busted out. So I'm kind of thinking I'm kind of done for the night and about seven o'clock look up the draw. He comes out the exact same spot as the 10 pointer did two nights prior. Got the camera out again, filming everything. He walks up the same trail, jumps the fence in the same spot, comes drinks water at the exact same angle. The only difference between the two hunts were the one buck ran North after I shot him, the one buck ran South. Um, it's like Zach said, I sent him the video of the first one. And then two nights later, I sent the video again and I sent it to a couple different buddies and everybody's like, you know, yeah, you sent that. And I was like, it's a different deer. When you go to watch it, it's just fairly different at all. It's pretty cool with the Spartans though. Cause I have pictures now of, uh, both deer at the water and then less than three or four minutes, you see me coming out of the blind, picking up my arrow, but it's pretty crazy hunt that I would say the cell cameras definitely played a big role in, but it's just kind of different to see all that stuff happen live like that deer the second deer was a good eight pointer and i knew he last year he was around all the time and this year i was looking for him all summer and we got one picture that i thought was him but didn't know but i it could just be luck of the draw but i really do think that that 10 pointer was keeping him out of there like of course this is his water tank you know this is my spot he's running them other bucks off because it hadn't seen him on that food plot all year shoot the 10 pointer two nights in a row, the eight pointers there. And after that, I'd killed two five-year-old bucks out of that food plot. That four-year-old, he was there morning and night, pretty much from October, probably, I can't remember what date that was I shot then, but around the 10th, from about the 10th of October to the rut, when they started going crazy and chasing does, he was there morning and night every time. So I think the plan kind of worked and we know he made it through the season. So we'll see what happens next year. Yeah. right on i'd say i'd say it's looking good from what i hear i mean like people always talk about running a bully buck off and he did that and that other one showed right up i mean it's no coincidence that kind of stuff happens um no that's that's a crazy story i i still can't believe that footage you sent i mean I, it looks the exact same i mean to a t I mean, the only difference you can tell, like you said, if you stop and like look really close, there's a few minor details, but it seriously looks like deja vu on those, those two bucks. You shot the same footage, same angle, same time of night. I mean, it's just incredible. It was really a good learning experience for me too, because it was a quartering away shot. And the first buck, I, I left him two hours. I really think after gutting him, he was dead in 20 seconds. Like he, he was on a death run. And he just died. He'd been dead, you know, right away. The second buck, 
the shot looked exactly the same, quartered away, looked like it entered last rib, just like the other one, exited right behind the shoulder. And uh, I gave him, I think, two hours also. Brandon and I went in there. We followed blood about 80 to 100 yards. And uh, we're, like, going real slow. It's dead calm out. And didn't hear anything, but I shined my spotlight up. And I saw a deer laying there, like maybe another 80 yards ahead of us, like through the brush. It was some buck brush stuff. I could see a deer laying there. And I'm like, as quiet as it is, like we were pretty quiet sneaking, but we were, it's oak trees and there's leaves everywhere. And, you know, it's, you can't really walk quiet, but uh, it was laying there. And I'm like, that was, that's gotta be him because I couldn't see his rack. Couldn't see any of that. But I'm like, I just had that gut feeling that it's gotta be him. Cause if it was a deer that wasn't sick, it would have been gone by now. Like it definitely had to have heard us. He was kind of, wasn't looking at us, but was kind of looking past our direction kind of. And it just felt off. So we just backed out. I gave him another three hours, went in by myself at midnight. So I just didn't want, it was a little warmer that night. I didn't want the meat to spoil. And I felt like at that point that giving him five hours with the shot, I'm like, he's got to be dead. And I get up in there and as I'm getting about, 80 yards from where I thought he was pack of coyotes howls right on top of the hill. And I'm like, well, it's a good call. Hopefully I'll find him here, you know, and get up there, find the bed. Sure enough, it was him standing in the bed, take my spotlight. He ended up getting out of that bed, moved about 40 yards, hooked right, bedded again, facing his last bed. And he was expired right there. But mm. so who knows how far he would have been if we'd have pushed a little bit further, but it's just, and the difference in those two shots was literally an inch. Like when I gutted him, it was an inch different. And he lived at least, I don't think he lived long after that two hour mark from when I, I didn't bump him, but from when I saw him, but just the difference between just what an inch will do on a shot like that, I guess. Oh, that's, that's interesting, man. We, <clears throat> I know we've talked about this before on this podcast and, um, um mud we were a buddy of mine and i we went to iowa this fall and anyways long story short he ended up hitting a buck the second night we were there kind of a similar you know quarter and away shot like you're talking about and um you know we trailed that deer for a long ways we actually never did find it but um just kind of interesting because i was sitting 30 yards away from him he shoots this buck and it runs over and stands underneath my tree stand at 10 yards you know and I'm looking at the arrow, looking at the deer, like this deer's dead, you know, like, and even almost looked like it was kind of, you know, getting a little goosey. Um, and, uh, no, I mean, <laughs> we blood trailed it that night for probably three, 400 yards. I mean, clear across this big giant river bottom Creek bottom. And, um, yeah, we, like I said, we never did end up finding it. It was just a super big bummer, but, um, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. Like, you know, sometimes you, <laughs> sometimes you make a marginal shot and I mean, as I think about the elk I shot this year, I mean, I made a pretty terrible shot, honestly. And that bull died within 30 seconds. Cause I just happened to hit the, the aorta abdominal aorta and it, uh, you know, expired very quickly, but, um, but then you make a, you know, a decent shot sometimes and you think, boy, that deer should be dead in you know, a minute. And, they go a lot longer. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. It's, it's funny how a, such a, how deadly a very well-placed arrow is and 
sometimes even those that you think are are very deadly and well placed end up you know taking longer than you'd expect but i don't know game of inches yeah game of inches they're tough critters they're tough critters man it's a game of survival for them and it's well they can get they can get tough even if you do like you said kyle make a well-placed shot it can it can send you through the ringer sometimes on blood trails and stuff, even when that arrow looks perfect. That's why, you know, just every one of them's different. There's no formula for a, you know, people think a double lungs, a, you know, just it's standard. They'll go 80 yards and tip over. Every single deer is going to be different. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many factors that can play in. Was that deer taking a breath when you shot it? Is its lungs more expanded? You know, it's just even down to their anatomy, they're, Every one of them's different, just like us. We're all not the same, but that's interesting, though, how those shots were an inch apart and how different their deaths were. But, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Kyle, you started off hot in Nebraska. I'd say that's uh, about as good as you can start. That was pretty early on, but then uh, you kept it rolling, went up to South Dakota and killed yourself a whopper up there. And I haven't heard this story yet, but that thing was a tank. If you want to go ahead and Tell the next hunt that came up next. Uh, go ahead and just run with that one. And so then the next one, I guess, would have been my public land South Dakota archery whitetail. It was uh, actually a long. I would. It was a long time coming. I've been hunting this piece of public for the last eight years, trying to learn how it, how the deer use it when they come in. Because like I've been in there early, they're not in there. It's more of a rut spot and went in there this year you know there's always good deer in there there's whitetails and mule deer but uh, this year went in there and i guess first time i was in in november i see just a tank <laughs> and he's <clears throat> kind of in the center of it and he's about a mile from where i'm at and he lays down and i could just tell he's got a big old frame on him don't really know what he's got for points or anything like that but i just know he's got mega frame for sure a shooter and marked him on onyx where i was at i could see if he bedded next to a fence line so i could pick out where he was at pulled out my app zoomed in kind of picked apart the terrain and kind of put a dot right kind of where i figured he was because i knew it all looks so much different when you get over there counted t-posts and everything like that and sneak down and get in there and uh i'm getting to where i think i'm like i gotta be right on top of him you know and i end up finding him and he's a little further than i thought he's about 80 yards out I end up sneaking in, crawling. It's, I knew it wasn't a like a full day bed. It was kind of one of those deals. He bedded down about nine in the morning. It was November. He's going to be cruising for does. He's just taking a break here, you know. And so I knew when I saw him from a mile, I had to move fast and get there. But there's no wind. It's all my hands and knees on a cattle trail, crawling up the fence line, just waiting for a little gust, easing in, easing in. Finally, I pick it out as tines in the grass, and I want to get up to where, like, there's some taller grass. They haven't grazed this one pasture. He's bedded in the taller grass, but it's kind of on a diagonal line, and he's only about five yards in the tall stuff. From where I'm at, when I got to 50 yards, I had about 40 yards of tall grass between me and him. Even when he would stand up, like, I thought I could maybe get a shot, but I would rather have that shorter gap with the taller grass, you know. And so I ended up sliding another two, three T-posts up to get it to where I got a better angle on it and uh, get to a wood post, about all the cover you have on the prairie of South Dakota, <laughs> and uh, kind of hunker down behind it best I can to try and hide. Wind was good, and then it was just a waiting game. 
and uh, finally he stands up. He turned away right away, and I should have drawn. And I'm like, I'm just going to do this right. Like, I didn't want to, like, I didn't know he was going to turn away right away, obviously. But I had about a split second I could have drawn and got drawn on him. He's, like, 42 yards now. And uh, he turns and looks right at me. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is over. Looks right at me for probably, it always feels longer than it is, but it's probably a full second of staring right into my soul. And then he turns back where he's facing straight in front of him, which is perfectly broadside to me and big old arc in his back and just stretches. I'm like, Oh man, I'm home free. Like he's good. He's going to put his head down to feed. He's going to turn back to look at the Crick. Something's going to happen here where he's going to do something that's going to give me an opportunity to draw. Well, never happened. He turned hard left, walked straight away, walked about 50, 60 yards. And they did that whole little frolic giddy up hop thing. And he goes trotting over the hill. So I pick up and I run over the hill and I watch him go in this ravine. I run down the ravine a little bit and see him go into this buckbrush patch. That's probably, it's probably only 30 foot by 60 foot. And watch him go into it, disappear right into the center of it. Sat there for about 20 minutes and watched. He never came out. So I put a big old sneak on that, come around, get up to it. And I'm like 30 yards away from it. And I'm picking apart and I can't see anything in there. And about that time, uh, it's public land. A uh, grouse hunter comes over top of the hill with his dog, and he's blowing his whistle. And he sees me because I mean it's bare grass around that, but I'm kind of behind the terrain for the cover where I thought the deer was. And he, the grouse hunter sees me, so super nice guy. Never talked to him, but he sees me 200 yards away. He yells at his dog, turns around, and walks the other way. And so then I'm like, now's my time to kind of push in, maybe and get a better visual wrap around this patch of buck brush and he's gone. <laughs> I don't know where he went. I lost him from when I sat on the hill and watched it for 20 minutes. It probably took me 10 minutes to make a big loop around, get the wind right. And then I think the way the wind was the grouse hunters wind hit that patch while I was gone. And so the buck would just disappeared. So I kind of dubbed him Houdini just disappearing act, you know, and uh, it was a couple of days till I was going to be able to get back up there. I kind of, so I guide pheasant and deer hunters there all fall and pretty much get a hunt evenings after we're done pheasant hunting or if we've got a day off without guys. So I'm like, really have no schedule as far as when I'm going to be able to hunt. So that was probably like a Thursday and I wasn't able to get back up there to like the following Tuesday. And uh, we were done with pheasant hunters at that point, And we had a week before rifle deer season where we kind of let everything rest on our deer farms for our clients and do a bunch of scout and scout stuff that we don't like. We have a bunch of leases. So we'll scout the leases that we haven't been hunting on, put enough cameras on for rifle season. But every morning I was able to go up and look for him that week. So I go up Monday and my buddy Scott White Buffalo came with me and <laughs> we found him again about a mile from where he was the prior time and uh put a sneak on him that time and same deal i got off i had it in my head how many draws over he was there's like some side fingers and scott stayed on the hill to glass and was gonna you know give me some signals in once i got close well all of a sudden i peek up and he's like doing some sorts of crazy signals and i was not getting what he was saying come to find out what happened was I missed a ridge when I was in the bottom. There's like the one ridge goes up and turns into two. 
So when I counted five ridges or five draws, it was actually only four because the one split and I ended up in the wrong draw. The deer ended up winding me, busted out of there and uh, went on to some private. And so we backed out, sat back and they kind of were headed back for a different piece of public. And so we're like, well, let's wait, see what happens. You know, we don't got anything going on until this afternoon anyway to go to scout tonight, class some fields. And we kind of had to walk out that way anyway, but we never saw him come out the main draw. So we're like, oh, we just bedded up in that draw with that pond on that piece of private. And uh, we start walking out and we're kind of, there's one spot we can kind of glass up there into the private and just see just get a good look at him because we didn't really have any good spotting scope pictures or anything of him at that point. Thought maybe it could be a good chance to do that. And as we're walking up the fence line, we see a little mule buck in the bottom. And uh, so I'm watching him, try not to bust him the wrong way to scare the deer out of the country because we're just kind of get some reconnaissance and get out of there and come back tomorrow and hunt him. And the mule deer bus runs up the creek. And so then at that point, he went the right direction and not bust the deer. So we kind of start hustling and I'm watching the mule deer and all of a sudden I pick my eyes up off the trail. Here comes Houdini. He's like 80 yards on the same trail that we're on walking right at us to come back into the creek from where I bumped him out, you know, two hours prior. And uh, if we wouldn't have seen that mule deer and wouldn't have bumped him and been, I totally let my guard down when that mule deer ran out of there. I'm like, oh, you know, it's over. We'll just get out of here. I mean, you'd never know what would have happened, but he was on a trail headed right for us and he had his nose down just cruising. I really feel like the way the grass was and the hills were, I would have picked him up because the mule deer, I picked the mule deer up five minutes before he ever saw us. And uh, finally ended up making the call to bust the mule deer on purpose because we got him to a spot where we could get him headed the right direction out of the group of deer. And uh, so that was pretty defeating. You know, I've had two chances at this big deer now. I had him at 40 yards the one time and the one the second time is it's probably like 75 or 80 but he's coming at us and the way the hills were he was going to end up probably walking the trail by at 25 or 30 yards on our side of the fence it was going to be perfect and instead i see his white tail just headed up the draw i'm like well not really what you're hoping for <laughs> and uh so i was pretty sure sick in my stomach you know that. That's typically what I would say in that situation. No, yeah, maybe a few choice words too. <laughs> well, because like this area, like I mean, yeah. I love the whole spot. Stock whitetails deal out there is pretty cool, and mule deer, like mule deer, are my favorite. But big whitetail, love them too. Um, I've been hunting this piece, like I said, for eight years. Never killed a deer off of it. I've missed one mule deer and one whitetail on it. Um, shot over one and shot under one but never taking one out of there, just learning this thing and trying to get my game down and knowing which draws are where and how they move through and saddles and everything. And this is the biggest year I've seen in there in that eight years. So it was like, finally see this, finally find a big, big deer in there and blow it twice. So the next time uh, we come in the next morning and we don't see him. And so, you know, like we just blew him out of here, you know, the next morning we go in and it's now, I think the Wednesday before rifle deer season. So we got two more days before rifle kicks in and we glass and glass and glass. And right at first light, we saw a big bodied deer with three does come off of a private field. They go off to private fields to feed and they come back to these big pastures in the daytime. 
And uh, we saw one big body deer and a couple other dip down this little draw. And then we glass, 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 turn up every other deer, but don't find him again. And we're like, man, you know, where's he at? Did I bust him out? How far away did he go? Maybe, you know, because from the first encounter to the second encounter was probably about three quarters to a mile. Like maybe he went back, his home range is further east. And when I saw him here the other day, it was just a random deal. And so we started glass. Turns out that big body deer we saw that morning ended up being him. And we kind of head up that same draw that I bumped him out of two days before and get to a better glassing knob and we pick him out bedded with a doe. Like I glassed it. I don't know how he did it. Same thing with the Houdini. We glassed this draw for probably 30 minutes with two of us. And it's probably, it was about just before 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm all but done. We're going to head back. We got to move a couple of rifle deer blinds. We got to do a few things. And before we go out for the evening scout and, uh, I was on the phone with my boss telling him, you know, how the morning was going and everything. And I'm like, yeah, we're pretty well done here. Just doing our last glass and we're going to pack up, walk back to the pickup. As I'm saying that I'm looking down the same main draw I've been looking at for a half hour in the middle of the draw, he's laying with the doe. Like, I don't know how he got there. He had to be there the whole time and I just didn't see him, but it's one of those, once you see it, you can't unsee it. He's right in the middle, right where you would expect him to be. And uh, then it was back game on, you know. And so I left Scott there on the hill where he could see him if something changed or whatever. And I think a big, about a mile and a half long stalk around and getting on him. And where he was at, I was going to be able to get to about 40 yards again, pretty good with a deep creek. I knew where the train was and I was pretty excited about where he was bedded. And as I get there, I peek over the hill and I'm probably 300 yards from him before I got to start crawling to get down to the bottom. He gets up and moves. And I'm like, golly, like, you know, he went behind the hill where I couldn't see him. And I found Scott. I got on the hill where I could see Scott and he couldn't see him. And so we end up, I go in there kind of blind knowing that he's in this little pocket and peek up over the hill, can't see anything. And all of a sudden, the first thing I see is his doe staring dead into my soul. <laughs> at like 120 yards i'm like this never ends well and uh so i just like went low as i could in the grass and she ended up getting curious and she was upwind well she comes out of the creek circles around me takes him right past me and luckily my wind was dead from them to me they make a full 180 around me and as they're coming they kept coming closer and closer and closer and closer so finally they got within shooting distance and he's, I get a good range on him, set my pin, draw back. He stops, settle my pin, shoot. And I'm kind of shooting kind of towards the sun. Arrow felt good. Deer kicked. Everything was like, felt really good. And he had to go about 20 yards and he's over top of the hill. So then I uh, run to the top of the hill. Don't see anything. Call Scott. He's like, I saw the doe ran out of the draw, but he never came out, you know? And I'm like, well, it felt good. I got a shot. Like, I think I got him, you know. And he's like, all right, sweet. I'm like, just stay there. We'll see what happens. But I'm going to go back, look for my arrow, see if I can find some blood or whatever, and find a blood trail. And it looks really good. And I follow, you know, foot-wide blood trail for 300 yards. And then Scott starts walking towards me. All of a sudden, he calls me. He's like, he's still alive. He's like, I found him here in the bottom of the creek. He hooked hard left. Like, just come meet me here. We'll see what we need to do. And uh, he bedded behind a little hill. 
and and I put another sneak on him, and it, they know where to bed, man. Like they're smart for a reason, you know. And I got to I was less than fifty yards from him, and I had to decide if I needed to come in on top of him to shoot down over this buck brush, or if I needed to come around front of him to shoot like up the draw. And if I went above him, I was going to have to make too much noise through other buck brush because there was hardly any wind and it was swirling. And if I went down to the nose, if I went down and right, I was going to have a more clear shot, but it was going to be a further shot of embedded where I could peek over top to the left side, but my wind was going to be pretty borderline. And as I'm thinking all this, I'm kind of in the middle of my two options. I like watching him and I'm thinking, I'm looking left, looking right, trying to decide what I'm going to do. He stands up and takes off and he's not feeling good at this point. We could, we watched him in the spotting scope for probably an hour and a half before I ended up making this move. He was getting sick. His head was going down and we thought about giving him time, but it was just like, if he gets in and moves to a different spot, there's a bunch of coyotes in this country. Like hate to have him run around. Like I like where he's at from where we were watching him at like a half mile. But once I got close, I just, I couldn't really do anything particular with him very well. So I draw back as he takes off. I'm like, he's going to run and stop as he's going up this big hill. Well, he never stops. I end up shooting at him as he's leaving to try and just get another arrow in him and finish this deal. And I love my slider and I hate my slider. I shoot a three pin slider. So I got a 30, 40 and 50 and I knew the deer was at 50. I had a major brain malfunction. And after that first shot, I didn't reset my dial. And so that arrow goes right over top of his back. It's perfect. Like he's trotting and it's perfect, but it's just high. And so now I'm defeated. You know, I just put the stock on him and he's now he's wounded. I feel horrible. And now he's back onto private. Now he's got onto private. Don't know what's going to happen. Get up on top of the hill. And Scott's like, I watched him run a mile and a half. Like I last saw him right there. And he shows me where it's at. And I was like, well, this isn't very good at all. And there's a road that runs right through that chunk of private, a public road, gravel road. It's like, well, I'll just go back to the truck and drive over there and see what we can see if we can try and get a hold of this guy or what's going to happen. And top the hill, and he stands up out of the cut cornfield, like at 200 yards, and runs straight south. And we have a permission on a property of our buddy's dad about a mile south of there. And so I'm like, well, he's headed for where we can hunt at least. Um, and there's a big glass out there, but we lost him in the cornfield. We drive around, can't find him from the glassing knob, end up calling the landowner where we last saw him and got permission to go in there and look for him. Like we, at this point, um, she ended up hitting in the second shot, but it was just really high and didn't do anything. Um, permission to go look for him. We go in, I stay up on top of the hill on the glassing knob. Scott drives in parks, walks up the draw ends up bumping him he runs onto our buddy's dad's place that we can hunt and i bed him down in a cattail slough and now this is i shot him the first time about 10 30 in the morning and now it's getting on towards dark we're by about 45 minutes till dark now in november i mean it's you know six seven hours later and bed him down in the cattail slough i have scott come to me show him where the deer's at i sneak down in there dead calm i end up getting to i think it was 38 yards and he stands up one last time i got a good arrow in him 
and then it was just a death run and it was over. But from first arrow to last arrow, three and a half miles, and I think it was just under seven hours. Like, talk about a roller coaster. It was not one of the fairy – I mean, it was a fairy tale ending for it to work out, but you know how rarely on a deal like that it works out in your favor. Like, I feel just incredibly blessed. And that first shot, what ended up happening was – I thought he was broadside when I shot and he was slightly quartered two and it went in just in front of the shoulder, hit the brisket and shifted and came out too far forward and never got in the cavity. And that arrow hit the offside shoulder, shoved up his shoulder. And I got pictures of him with a spotter where you can see like 12 inches of shaft under his skin on his opposite front leg. Like, looking at the damage when we skinned him and took care of him, he was the first shot would have killed him. It just might've taken way longer than we would have liked. Like who knows? I mean, it might've taken a week or 10 days. Who knows? I was going to say it might've been one of those that just died of infection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But man, it was just another one of those crazy stories. You know, once, once that arrow hits, you know, it's hard telling what it, if it hits a bone and deflects a few inches, it's hard telling what the heck's going to happen. You know, that's, yep. that's insane, but I'm glad it ended up the way it did, man. That's. And those arrows do some crazy things sometimes. Like if it would have, as hard as it went left, if it went right, he'd have been dead in, you know, 15 seconds right there. But uh, as is, I mean, it worked out and we got him on the ground, meat in the freezer and everything, but it, it was a long day for me. It was lots of highs and lows. And I, I can, I can imagine, man, that's seven stressful hours right there when you think it's a good shot. And then all of a sudden he runs and, you know, you think he's dead over the hill and he's still alive. And seven hours later, there you are still trying to get another arrow in him, but man, it- there was just a lot of luck involved too, with the placement of, like I said, we killed, shot him on public land, ended up on private landowner gave me permission to go look for it. Ends up on a buddy's place that we can hunt. And what's funny is the big loop that he made where I shot him, he's in the corner between like, he's on where we can hunt my buddy's place next to where we got permission to look for him next to the public he ends up dying back on the public <laughs> so no. i mean it, it came full circle you know wow. but it was it was that's, uh, yeah that's an interesting um you know this goes back to this seems to be a recurring theme in this podcast which i do like i i just i find this fascinating you know just what arrows can do and you know it just it, it's so interesting sometimes like i said they just work so well and this your your story reminded me um mud of a a deer i shot back in 2016 i killed this buck um shot him quarter and away pretty pretty steep angle quarter and away but you know same type of deal where you know you think oh went in last rib should be good you know runs off takes off um you know up out of this creek bottom and anyways end up calling my dad whatever he came over i think we gave him you know the standard hour or something i figured well he's gonna be dead and anyways long story short i mean we end up blood trailing the steer for you know four or five hours like lose the trail a couple times and 
you know, find it again. And I mean, at one point I think we had just kind of started doing a body search and somehow I end up finding this, I mean, just like one of those things that you just, how did I ever even see this? I mean, we're like walking back to the, like we're going to walk back to the pickup basically. And I end up finding this, I mean, pinpoint speck of blood, like in the dirt, you know, just to like, give me a line, you know, like, like, I mean, I'm not kidding you probably no, I mean, smaller than a pencil eraser, you know, I just happened to look down and see it and like, Oh, there's, that's blood for sure. You know, so we kind of had a line, but anyways, this, where I'm going with this, I guess is we, we end up finding him and he had died. Um, you know, and I don't know how long it took him to die, but, um, you know, you were talking about, it didn't even enter into the, the chest cavity. Cause this buck actually, so when I had shot, when, when I ended up butchering him, um, or, you know, not butchering him, gutting him. Um, I, when I got into the chest cavity, there was no, there was no damage to the chest cavity at all. Um, that arrow, sometimes. that arrow had went and had basically hit that first rib and had deflected up into his armpit and basically like, I think it, it must've severed. Like, I, I think that, well, I should know this son, um, but <laughs> I think it's the same <laughs> here, but it'd be, it'd be his brachial artery probably running underneath his, his right or his, it would have been his left leg. But, but anyways, it ended up, you know, kind of going along this chest cavity and up into his left leg. Um, and it, I mean, it, it killed him. Obviously it, you know, he, he bled to death much in the same way as if they'd bleed to death if you shot him in the chest. But it's just interesting how, you know, they, um, I mean, that arrow never even entered his chest, you know, I mean, perfect shot, like, but do it the same way every time, but just that arrow just hit and just went up into there. And so it's just, you know, it's crazy. Sometimes that stuff just, you know, an an inch right or left, maybe in that situation too, it might've been, you know, he might've died in a hundred yards. You just, I don't know. It's just crazy. But Anyways, I just that just reminded me of that. But <laughs> so something flying that fast when it hits a solid object, I mean, and there's there's a lot of energy that can do some funky stuff with that arrow. You know, they can work out either for your favor or you know the other way around. Unfortunately, sometimes just the way it goes. It just once again goes to show you can think a shot's just perfect and put it right on the money, and that doesn't mean it's a dead deer. Or, that it's going to be an easy track job. Some funky stuff can happen. That's it's all part of it. You hope that never happens, but it does. But yeah, we should say in defense though that for the most part it does work out. But <laughs> for the most part, <laughs> in defense of of uh, you know bow hunting and archery in general, you know typically that this is we're yeah. talking about the extraordinary cases. I think, but it just goes to show you can't say always and never. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. always those rare cases. But. Yeah. But no. guiding, I've seen some pretty crazy stuff with rifles too for that defense. Oh, like, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yep. 100%. Yeah, it can happen just as easy with the rifle as it can with the bow too. For absolutely. sure. No, I guess, Kyle, to uh, wrap up, um, I thought your season was done there, but you had to go and just put a slam dunk on the season here not too long ago. If you want to tell the last story of your dream season. I'd love to hear about this cat. So the last story, honestly, I hope it isn't too much of a letdown because it's kind of a quick deal, actually. We, uh, my buddy Clayton, he's the one I guide for in South Dakota. We've been talking to an outfitter in Colorado. 
he has a deer, you know, like an on-call list. And like he books clients, you know, he does week-long hunts with guys, but he always wanted an on-call list because, you know, you might, he books five-day hunts. You kill a cat the first day, he doesn't have somebody coming in until the following week. If the snow's good and he's got fresh tracks, they're going to be looking all the time to know where their cats are at. He wants somebody to be able to, you know, spur the moment, just be able to go. And my lifestyle's pretty fluent that way that there's not many days that I couldn't just pick up and go somewhere, you know, um, move a few things around or whatever. But we end up talking to him, been talking to him for probably six months. And we were just working in the shop one day, cleaning some stuff up. And um, we get a call at 5.30 in the evening, like, hey, can you be here in the morning? We got a track found. We, our guy killed his lion yesterday. We are looking for bobcats today, and there's a lion in here. Like, and we know he's going to be here tomorrow. The snow's good. If you can get here tomorrow, we'll kill him, you know. And it's – we looked at each other, and we're like, well, we've been talking about it for six months. Like, let's go. So we literally got up out of the shop at 530 right when that guy called and uh, went to the house, packed our stuff, loaded up, and we drove through the night to Rifle, Colorado, ended up getting to the parking lot of Walmart, slept in the parking lot of Walmart till they opened at 6 a.m., walked in, bought my license, walked out, met the outfitter, went up the mountain, found where the track was the day before, circled some stuff up, found the fresh in the track up, kicked the dogs out at 9 o'clock, and they had it treed by about 11 30 11 15 and crazy. we made a bit made a big loop around hiked up in there and sat at the base of the tree at noon <laughs> like <Wow>. it was <laughs> i've hunted lions quite a bit in wyoming like we had buddies with dogs and clayton had dogs and we ran a bunch of bobcats it's like i've done the whole lion hunting and experience you know looking for tracks and turning out and getting disappointed and treed some and we killed some bobcats and everything like so i've hound hunted and cat hunted quite a bit but i never killed one myself so it was kind of one of those deals our buddy um got rid of his dogs kind of got out of it and i think wound up with hounds our crew of guys at some point again in the future but i don't know if that'll be a year from now or 10 years from now and lions are def we're definitely on top of my list so it's definitely a good hunt that i wanted to do but uh it was you know he called at 5 30 and in the evening and the next day at noon i had my cat and it was really pretty straightforward as far as cat hunts go we turned out and uh the dogs took the track up made a big u around and actually kind of circled back by us we went up the mountain on the quads and they dropped back in the canyon behind where we turned out on and there ended up being a fresh kill on there and there was probably i think there was three cats on that kill three mature cats and I don't honestly know if we even killed the one we turned out on, but the dogs lined out hard after the kill and ran it about a mile and a half and dropped off this other side of this Canyon and showed treat on those GPS collars. So we dropped off the mountain, made about a 12 mile loop around the same Canyon. The dogs were in to come in the bottom side, came up, parked the quads. You can hear them baying, you know, 500 yards away on those collars and uh, 500 yards in Colorado in the mountains. Is a little bit different than 500 yards in the prairie of South Dakota. I'll tell you that. It yeah, was, especially, uh, with a, especially with a bunch of snow on, it's a whole different game. 
we got pretty lucky on that deal too actually we only had probably three inches of fresh snow and there was no three inches of powder so it was about you couldn't ask for much better actually for hiking and everything we were talking to the guys and they you know they had people come every year and they've been doing it for years and like sometimes you come in here so we've killed cats out of the same canyon with three foot of snow and you're wearing spikes and snowshoes and everything it took us I bet it took us 35 minutes to go that 500 yards. You know, you think 500 yards and you're all excited and hyped up on adrenaline, you'll be there, in, you know, three, four minutes. And it was probably a solid 40 minutes of hiking uphill. You know, you're slipping and sliding. There's a little bit of ice underneath the snow and everything. But uh, it was really over before we could even think about it, I guess. Um, I'm going to say it probably happened did, so fast. I'm going to say it probably didn't even really set reality really probably didn't even set in until you were about home it all happened so fast the next the next day skinning it so we took it out carcass got it all checked in loaded it up on the jeep and took off for home so like literally it was a whirlwind trip we left at 5 6 30 in the evening and killed the cat the next day got it checked in drove home ended up getting home about 3 a.m you know the next day and pretty much traveling and hunting the whole time and it was by the time we got home clayton and i were pretty beat i i definitely slept in the next morning which worked because the lion had to thaw a little bit for us to skin it but the next day when i was working on the lion it was probably when it all really kind of became a little more real that what we just done you know i can imagine man that's uh that's uh pushing it right there getting off work killing the catless well about 12 hours later then turn around and coming home nothing like a quick little weekend getaway to go kill a mountain lion i guess yeah it was it was it was a lot of fun i love the grind that's really what i love about the whole guiding and just all of it like hunting is ever since i was a little just been what i love to do like been able to build a life kind of around it and do a lot of different dabble with a lot of little bit here and there with the pheasants and we do a bunch of coyote hunting and archery hunting is really like where my heart's at but i mean i'll rifle hunt i'll guide i'll pheasant hunt do it all turkeys and everything and uh just always looking forward to the next adventure you know absolutely keeps you busy year round that's for sure yeah Yeah, man i feel like that's what i do nine months out of the year is just plan for the next one (laughs) well that's what that's where we're at now is the application season trying to figure out what everybody's gonna do this fall yeah there's always something going on every part of the year related yep. to hunting anyways it's what makes it fun it's all a good group of guys too you know hunting community that's uh the guy the brown bear trip here you know in two months i'm going on in alaska is actually one of our deer clients from south carolina's booked this brown bear hunt and he was up deer hunting this this year and i was like you know craig i should go on that and film that for you just giving him a hard time and he's like okay <laughs> so i'm like He's like, if you're serious, I'm serious. And I'm like, you can guarantee I'm serious. <laughs> you know, so we're going to go up and stay on the boat and try and kill a brown bear. So that'd be pretty fun. Oh, it's going to be quite the experience, man. You're in for a treat. I, uh, Just hope we get good weather. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, that's going to be a blast. I'm excited for you. It's going to be fun. Uh, well, we're about out of time here. Kyle or Mud, do you guys have anything you want to add? Any last minute thoughts or anything? I appreciate you guys having me. Oh. Yeah, man. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. 
yeah, thanks so much for being on. It's uh, it's great. Good to hear all these awesome hunts, man. It's just, gosh. Just Hard not to want to talk hunting. Oh, I know. I know, that. right? <laughs> just love it. That's great. Um, good, yeah. I mean, if you, don't, you guys don't have anything else, uh, Zach, do you want to just wrap this recording up and then we can – um yeah tie up any loose ends we need to and we'll get uh get going but yeah anything else questions anything i don't think so okay sounds good well with that this is kyle clomber this is zach welch and this is good life bow hunter the official podcast of the nba see you next time guys <laughs>